Hi guys, today I was joined on the podcast by Charlie Purden. Charlie has been coaching as part of the LA Guiltini's Academy and knows a huge amount about skill development. I really hope you enjoy this. So you're one of those coaches who gives a lot of free information out. Uh, I want to start, why, why do you do that? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like, I think initially, um, as a very curious, uh, very uh, driven coach, I, I'm always looking for more information. I'm always looking for a gem here and there, wherever it is. And I was often screen recording videos, um, you know, all over social media and whatever other people put out. Um, and I kind of, and I'd then share them with my friends or my players um, because I, I feel a lot of a lot of players, especially in this generation, learn more from like a, a visual, learn more from like a, a short video sort of thing. So I, I then sort of went, well, why don't I share this on my Instagram? And you know, whoever takes it can take it, and what they want to do with it, they can, you know, they can go for it. And I feel that's the way it's got to be. You just, it's, everyone's got to be open to sharing because you know, if you share one thing, you're going to get five things back. Um, so yeah, mate, I'm all about, especially in America, there's these coaches need as much information as possible and these players need as much free information as possible. And if you make it free and, and available, you know, um, maybe they'll come back for more. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's the basic, um, the way I see it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I feel like a lot of rugby coaches have that, just the general understanding of, uh, you give and then people will give to you. Yeah, 100%. And, and I mean, like I feel when I'm picking other coaches' brains or I'm chatting to my mentors, they are unbelievably generous with their time. Um, and it, it almost it makes them feel good about themselves. Um, I feel like if you give a guy a call and you say, mate, can I pick your brain or something? You know, he puts the phone down and he goes, wow, that was, that was pretty cool. I, I feel good that I've shared some info with with a young aspiring coach um, mm. or young aspiring player. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. How many years have you, have you been coaching for now? Uh, coaching professionally, almost as a, as a career, uh, since, since 20, I guess, end of 2017. Um, so mm. not that long as a, as a career, but obviously I did a little bit of coaching Back in South Africa, when I was was a, when I was a student, um, as a you know under nineteen and twenty one player, but you know that was just just the little fellas. Um, yeah. So yeah, since since uh, end of twenty seventeen. Yeah, and you played rugby for quite a long time yourself before that. Yeah, I did have a, a brief professional playing career. Um, I didn't I didn't get very far, um, but uh, yeah, I, you know I played in South Africa, age grade stuff at the Sharks, um, moved to Cape Town, played a bit of varsity cup, moved to Cape Town, a bit of club rugby, a um, bit of provincial sevens. And then, like I told you earlier, I spent uh, two months in Edinburgh, which was a great experience. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, you know, let me use rugby as a tool to travel and see the world. Um, and so I reached out to a guy in Santa Monica um, saying that, you know, I want to come play a bit, bit of club rugby and, um, and see America, and yeah, so I came out for a six-month rugby holiday uh, seven years ago. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, it's turned into something a lot bigger and, and better, and yeah, it's it's been awesome. How how different is rugby there? Um, 
yeah, very different to a normal rugby playing country. Um, I mean, the values stay the same. I think uh, you know, if, if you pick up the, the game, you you know, you love it. It's there's so much to it, and everything that uh, surrounds it, and the values and the mindsets and the camaraderie. You know, all the good stuff is there still. Um, I just think in terms of its quality and it's uh, almost a, a solid rugby culture. It's not there yet. However, right, there's a lot of rugby being played in America. It's just still very amateur. Um, and there is a big following. It's just always going to be a minority to uh, bigger American sports, which is fine because they're just, there's more than enough to go around. There's so many people in this country. And, um, and they're very passionate about sports, obviously. You know, and if they get into it and they fall in love with it, whatever the sport, they're in and they buy the merch and they go to the games and they, you know, they're all in. So it's different. Um, but at the same time, it's really exciting because it's so new and, you know, it's, it's like the wild, wild west. You, you don't know what's going to happen next, but pretty cool time to be in America um, with rugby. Yeah. So do you get many people who, I've never touched a rugby ball before, like done a little bit of rugby. Like, would you would you normally sort of coach? Yeah, so I'm mate, I'm all over the show. So um, from a skills point of view, I'm coaching under eights all the way up to men's. Um, so yeah, tons of tons of little little fellas picking up, um, sorry, little guys and girls picking up the game from a very young age, and that'll be around skill development through my camps um, with Perry Baker or. Uh, through Proteus Athlete, where I'm a partner. It's a high-performance gym. Um, and then from a team team perspective, I'm the head coach of um, University of San Diego. Um, and then I've just, uh, I was with the LA Giltinis U18s um, last year or last season. And I've just accepted a position with uh, the San Diego Legion as their, their lead coach of their academy. So, yeah. um, so it's all over the show. So, you know, there's, there's beginners that are eight-year-old beginners, and then there are beginners that are that are grown men um, or students that have come from another sport, and you you almost forget that because they look like fully grown men. You know, their rugby age is zero. They they, they have no idea. Um, but it's an awesome challenge uh, to uh, to get these these guys up to speed and and almost make them fall in love with the game. Yeah, I'm interested to hear when you get someone like that. Where do you start? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a very unique rugby landscape. Um, I feel like in a normal rugby country, like what you used to, as soon as you can start playing rugby, as soon as you can start running around, you're just playing with your mates. And you're playing in the backyard, you're playing in the schoolyard, you just play, 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 and you're not under surveillance. So a lot of the learning is intrinsic. It's all happening naturally. Um, you're getting tons of touches on the ball, um, the uncanny stuff like understanding time and space, it just, it's just happening through the games. Um, and also you start watching rugby at a very young age. So you know what it looks like. You, you get a deep understanding um, from day one. Whereas in America, they either pick up the game so late or when they start the game, they're not very well coached and they're not, they're not playing on their own. They're only playing when they're under surveillance. Um, which is a bit of a problem because, you know, if a coach has them for two practices a week and he's seen a great drill on YouTube or whatever, he's going to pop this drill in there. If the kid's never played rugby in his life, 
and he doesn't know what it's meant to look like. They they don't understand the context of that specific drill, so to speak. Um, so for me, the way I look at it is that they need to play. They just need to play. They need to run with the ball. They need to explore. They need to feel what it feels like. Um, what it feels like to tackle, feel another body on them. What it feels like to see space and take a gap. You know, run with the ball in two hands. You've almost got to create. Um, an organic learning environment through small-sided games, through constraints, and and essentially let them research on their own. Um, so it's it's quite a challenge. But for me, it's almost how do you create the most natural, organic learning environment for a beginner? Obviously, teach them the skills, technical skills, but allow them to just go figure it out in like a no-judgment zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm a little bit biased because that's how I learned the game, and I assume that's how you learned the game. But it's like we need to scale it back and go, just go out there and play, play, play on your own. Okay, now we'll add, now we'll evolve, now we'll polish it up. And then eventually, you know, the player's development grows. Let's say a 19-year-old here in America, um, his rugby age, if he only started playing rugby at like 14 or 15, they're still very young. You know, they, they still, you know, they're so far behind in terms of touch on the ball and feel. So we need to now expedite that learning so that they can catch up quicker because they didn't have, you know, 14 years of just explore, feel. They expected to play and compete right away. And it's always like, I mean, I think it's the American culture, but it's always you're playing in a league and you're playing for a trophy and it's like compete, compete. And it's like, and you're like, mate, don't even keep the score. Just let them play. In the greater scheme of things, we need to develop better rugby players. You know, we don't need to win national championships every single season. We've just got to make them better. Yes, later on, they can compete. But for now, I don't think we're there just yet. Yeah. Sorry, that was a hell of a long answer to no, a short no. question. No, that's, that's what I want to hear. Um, if someone's trying to learn a new skill, so you know, they want to learn how to kick off their left, they can kick off their right pretty well. What's the best, best way to go about like, learning a new rugby skill? You have a, yeah, so, like a blueprint you'd recommend? Um, I don't think it's a blueprint I'd recommend. I think I think the way I see it or what works for me is is I try and simplify it into task, context, variable. So a three-step process, so to speak. So a task would be the actual technical skill. Um, you're talking about king of the left foot. For me, it would be ball placement, where we're hitting it on the foot, and then follow through, for example. So... And then you've got to find a way to simplify all three of those. So arms extended, hard foot, hit it on the bony part of your foot, and then finish almost running after the ball. So it would be task, context, make it look like it would in a game. So if it doesn't look the same or feel the same, why are you doing it? And then a variable variable would be, now let's create a game where you're almost eluding the player from the actual skill and you're getting him to explore and actually forget what he's doing and hope that those habits from the task and the context kind of stick. So for me, it's rule of three, and then it's just simplify as much as you possibly can, um, and then find a way to relate the material to the learner. So how, how can you say something that he's going to remember, or how can you create an analogy that he goes, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense, for example. So an example would be if I was teaching a kid how to box kick, um, in America, there's this thing called T-ball, 
where basically it's like the ball's sitting on a stick where it's softball, baseball, sitting on a stick and all you got to do is hit it. Now with boxing, I kind of say, look, tee the ball up nice and high, get your ball drop as still as you can. Imagine tee ball, so you're teeing it up with your hand and then all you're doing essentially is helping it on its way. And if your feet are in the right position and you get a full range of motion, the, the, you know, the outcome should take care of itself. So, yeah, rule of three for me, task, context, variable. And then in the variable, just, again, games, 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 create more uh, constraints, force them to problem solve, force them to think, force them to explore um, through the specific constraints you give them within a small-sided game. Mm. You think, do you put much thought into the environment that you'll put them through? Yeah, um, absolutely. And I feel like a beginner player is very intimidated at first. Um, he comes in and he's, he thinks that he needs to be brilliant right away. He needs to be perfect right away. So I think it's important that the player will come to the environment and it's high energy, it's fun, it's comfortable. Um, learn the guy's name right away, find out something about him, make him feel safe and make him feel it's okay to make a mistake. Like you, if you're making mistakes, you're learning. It's a good thing. So absolutely, the environment's huge. It's got to be a no-judgment zone and you, you've almost got to just let them play. Um, I think Perry, Perry Baker is like unbelievable at that. So we run camps. A kid will walk through the gate and if he knows the kid's name, Perry's like this kid's heart, heart man, so to speak. And he'll go, hey, man, what's up? How are you doing, man? You know, get your, get your boots on, get out here. And he's just like, hey, this kid feels like a million bucks right away. And he's just, mate, energy giver of note. Like, the environment's huge, especially for a learning, uh, a, a player that's starting the game out. You don't want him to come. He does one session, he's intimidated, he's scared, he's, he's not comfortable, and then he doesn't come back again, so... Yeah, environment's very important. Yeah, I think that's so huge. I think it's so important learning someone's name because you can tell when someone doesn't know your name or a coach doesn't know your name. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I get it because Massive. they might they might have twenty people, but it just it's such a mark of respect if someone can remember your name when they're coaching you. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, when I was when I was at the Sharks Academy, we actually did a course, uh, Dale Carnegie course, and I remember the first lesson was name name memory so it's it's an actual skill and we were taught this is how you you know you memorize a guy's name and, or a woman's name and it was pretty cool so i've always tried to try to keep that you know sometimes i do forget um but i've i've made it a point when i have assistant coaches or co-coaches i'm like mate learn the name right away um and perry's i mean perry's really good at that so mm. yeah it's huge what's what's perry baker like do you see much of his training? Like, what's his character like? Oh, mate, special, special human being. Um, just like so much humility. Like the most humble guy you've ever met. Like he won't believe his story and what he's come from. Um, so from a character point of view, unbelievable. And because he's got so much humility, he literally went from never playing the game to being named World Player of the Year in a space of seven years. That's because he has the ability to learn very quickly. Yes, there's a genetic disposition. Of course, he's got a superpower. You know, I, I don't think many people can do what he can do. Um, but you have to have the right mindset to get there as quick as he has. Um, so, 
character, amazing. Um, in terms of his skill, and his evasive skills, crazy. Like he, he can just do things that other players can't do. But what's really impressive is his understanding of time and space and, and, and his decision-making. Um, people forget that. Like he's, really, he's, he's understands the game deeply. He's, he's, he's almost quite obsessive and people don't think that he is. And then in terms of training, I mean, he's like 36, 37 now. He's a racehorse. Like, this, like if we're running a camp, he'll get there and I'll forward do his training and then we'll run a camp for three to four hours. He's just, mate, he's a freak of nature. So great guy, mate, awesome role model for American yeah. rugby players. What do you think separates players like that? I think it's exactly that. It's just mindset. They've just got it. I mean, or I wouldn't say they just got it because they don't all just have it. I think they develop it and they develop a self-awareness um, and emotional intelligence. And then they know exactly what they need to do to, to stay there. And now for him, it's almost like he's, how do you keep a guy like him motivated? He's won two World Player of the Years. Yes, you know, he hasn't won in the Olympics. He's gone to two. Um, but, mate, imagine doing the same thing every single day for, you know, I don't know how many years he's been there now, but, like, maybe eight to ten years. Like, yeah, you know, it gets like, I want to go do something else. So to, to stay motivated um, and almost manage his arousal levels um, is pretty tough. But he's, he's obviously got uh, – He's obviously very mentally tough and he's able to keep going. He's able to stay there. So I, I made in my mind, it's just a long answer short, humility, self-awareness, um, and just, just drive, just finding a way to keep evolving your game. Um, and I mean, like, man, I, I coach him, um, with his kicking. I, I probably sharing too many secrets here, but he's looking to evolve his game. He's won two world players the years and, he, and he's like, how can I get better? Which is incredible. You know, mm -hmm. and I work on, you know, left foot, right foot, chip, grubber. He's looking for ways to evolve. And he's, you know, which is kind of like, it's pretty inspiring. Honestly, it's, it's pretty cool. So, man, I'm waffling. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no. I'm just, no, no. Uh, I'm just pretty, I'm really passionate about this kind of stuff. So, yeah. I, I listened to a podcast with him and he went through so much to get where he is now. And the thing that stuck with me is just how much he believed in himself. Oh, yeah. Wait, 100%. You just got to back yourself all the way. Mm. Dream with your eyes open. Yeah. Um, what do you think rugby players, in terms of their skill development, miss the most? Um, in what context? In... In America, all over the world, or, or, um, or just in general? Just in general, yeah. I think as the, as the game evolves, as the game gets um, quicker and the players get faster and the players get stronger, um, the game evolves naturally and players need to find a way to survive. So they need to find a specific skill that's going to, be their point of difference. Um, now I, I feel like the quicker the game gets, the quicker their speed of hand needs to be and the quicker their 
um, awareness and anticipation needs to be. So, uh, you know, I almost feel like if we're developing players to play international rugby or professional rugby, we need to start thinking about the skills that they're going to need at that level, not just the skills they're going to need at youth level to dominate. Like we, we've got to think long-term um, and develop those skills. Um, I mean, an easy one would be catch pass uh, under pressure. So speed of hand, um, understanding how much time and space you've got, especially forwards. I feel like in the, in the old days, make forwards just carry, hit, ruck, tackle, scrum. Nowadays, I mean, as you can see, every forward's got to be able to tip, bail out the back, offload, footwork into contact or footwork through contact, link up, support play. Um, I think if that can get coached from a much younger level, um, that would be huge. Um, tackle tech, massive, being able to complete the tackle, not just make that, not just hit the guy. It's it's the it's the mechanics around getting the guy to ground, um, using leverage, you know, body mechanics, that kind of thing. Uh, mate, there's a lot, but I think what's striking to me is that. We pull guys into the professional system to play professional rugby and they can't do basic skills because they weren't expected to do it at university level or at the 21 and the 19 level. So um, they get there and then coaches go, well, he doesn't have the skill set to play here yet. Why didn't he work on this when he had time at 18, 19? So I think we just got to be smarter around how we develop players for the long term and equip them with all-round skills to play at the highest level, not just the level that they're actually playing at. Yeah. Um, are there any type of players you find it hard to coach? Absolutely. <laughs> Mate, there's, yeah. Um, I feel if the student is not ready to learn, you can't teach him. If he doesn't have... Uh, humility, if he doesn't have the correct behaviors, the right mindset or fixed mindset, you're not going to make much progress. Um, and, and he's got to be, he's got to be able to contribute. He's got to be an energy giver. He can't be a sap, an energy sap. Um, he's got to, he's got to be open to the learning process. He's got to be open to feedback and he's got to become a student of the game. He's got to obsess over it. And I have so many kids that come and go, I want to learn this. And I go, yeah, man, I can teach you anything, but you've got to be receptive and you've got to commit. Um, if you're not a student of the game, if, you, if you're not willing to develop a deep understanding, well, we're not going to get anywhere here. You know, you'll get a little bit better, but you're not going to reach your full potential or become the best version of yourself. So, mate, humility, mindset, behaviors, habits, um, and having an optimistic kind of view. Um, yeah, uh, so if a player doesn't have those things, um, it's very difficult. So what do you do when you're in an environment where you might need someone like that in your team? So you can, yeah, obviously it's, you could just drop someone like that, but yep. you're probably not going to. So how do you go about dealing with those people? Yeah, it's very interesting. Like, I mean, it's a brilliant question because it is a challenge. Um, I feel like you need to win them over. 
you, you've got to build rapport with that player to get the best out of him. Um, you've got to do everything you can to let him know you care about him and you genuinely want him to, to get better because the team needs him to be better. And, I mean, it might work, it might not work, um, but I, I feel if you've built a, a strong enough relationship with a player and there's, there's love and there's care and he knows you genuinely care about him, you can be honest with him and you can say things that, that need to be said that might not be easy to, to hear for the player. Um, but if he's selfless and he's willing to do it for the team, um, he'll develop and he'll evolve. And, I mean, I've had success and I've had a lot of failures with that. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, man, I'm still trying to figure it out. That's, that's the way I see it. But, yeah, I feel like with this whole coaching thing, the more I know, the more I don't know. Um, so it's just like an, an ever-evolving um, thing. You, you just make you just always learning. You just you never know it all. And as soon as you think you know it all, you get caught out pretty quickly. I can imagine you'd probably be a lot of a better player now if you could go back knowing what you know now from being a coach. So if you could go back, what would you tell your young player self with your coaching hey, knowledge? Great, great question. Yeah, I feel it's like, you know, it's that classic, like I wish I knew back then what I know now. If I could almost inject my current mindset and, and perspective of the game into my 19-year-old self, you know, maybe I would have achieved more as a player, maybe not. Um, but yeah, just just developing self-awareness early on um, and emotional intelligence, being able to read the room and being able to completely understand uh, yourself as a player, your limitations, your strengths, and then knowing how to make a plan going forward. And also not like taking shortcuts on the little things. Like I feel like I, as a small guy, I was constantly looking to get bigger and get stronger and develop physically. Um, but I took shortcuts on things like my diet and I took shortcuts on things like my strength training because I was probably too impatient. You know, I, I think I could have, I could have been smarter on my training. Not, not, I could, not that I could have worked harder. I think I, I was extremely committed. I was obsessed. I worked extremely hard. I could have just worked a lot smarter. So understanding exactly who you are. So a bit of probably a bit of uh, self, uh, a bit of self-improvement and trying to become the best version of yourself um, at a very young age so that you can handle things going forward. Mm, I like that. Where do you think rugby attack structures are headed? Oh, that's quite specific. Yeah. Uh, just go watch Japanese rugby. <laughs> All the best coaches are in Japan, and that's where they are trying new things and they're inventing new things and they're evolving. Um, but I think naturally, at face, you know, at face value, off the bat, as you will, it just depends on the cattle you've got. I think you've got to build a game model based on the players that you have available to you. Um, and that's where you, I think it's almost like structures became more deceptive because people are working out, well, if we can improve our skill set and our speed of hand and our shapes, we're going to deceive the opposition. 
And then South Africa came in, for example, and heavy box kick, uh, kick chase, pressure, pressure on their set piece, tackle, physical domination. And that almost kind of um, drowned the deception game. And then people had to evolve back to a pressure game. Um, so, like, I don't know exactly where it's going at, at the highest level. I think each team have to, they're just going to play to what they're really good at and then do it to their best of their ability. But in my opinion, I think, I think it's just simple rugby played well is a beautiful thing. Um, but, uh, but it is exciting. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a complete codehead rugby Norse, as you guys would call it. So, um, I'm constantly looking and, and trying to figure it out myself. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of bias. I think a lot of different coaches will have different perspectives. You know, I spent I spent time with the Guiltinis last year. With they got a very Australian influence, and their intent to keep the ball in hand and play is massive. You know, they'd, they'd rather not give the ball away, rather keep the ball, build pressure like that. Mm. You know, then you'd have a South African influence that will be like, mate, give them the ball, we'll smash them, we'll get the ball there, and then we'll get points. And then you'll have almost a different mindset where. Well, let's give them this picture that we're going to run so that they bring a wing up or they don't have as much cover. And then we, we're almost um, creating uh, order to create disorder where now we're going to kick and now they don't know whether to put a guy back. Or, and if he does put him back, then we run. So being more adaptive. So, Matt, who knows? <laughs> who, who really knows? Um, but my prediction is that players are just going to become more adaptive Players are going to be hybrid. They can play many different games, many different situations. I think individually, players are just going to get better, more skilled, quicker, stronger. Um, yeah, which 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 is exciting. Um, you know, and with all the Instagram rugby coaches out there now, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, opportunity for people to to upskill from a much younger, a much younger age. Yeah, like uh, one of my mentors, Warren Abrams, he. he you know, he was able to coach Marcus, um, Marcus Smith at the Harlequins Academy. And a player that skilled and that gifted, um, you've got to find ways to, to, you know, to make him even better. And he's almost essentially this hybrid player where, like, he's a brilliant problem solver. And you've got to be deliberate about coaching him to make him even better. And, and put him under pressure and create games within games to challenge him. Um, so that, you know, because if a game's almost too easy for him, and, I mean, I guess at that level, under 19 academy level, you're preparing him for to play for England like he is now. But at that age, how could you get creative with making him extremely adaptable um, and making him a, a hybrid player? so to speak, where you can play, you know, plenty different styles. Um, yeah. Mm. Do you ever, like, when you're, co- when you're coaching someone like that, do you, do you have players that you'll treat differently? Like, if someone really excels, will you put more effort into them than other players? Uh, I wouldn't, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say more effort. I think you're always going to put a lot of effort into every player, but if there's one that's that's uh, much more skilled or, or much more 
gifted than the rest, you almost need to make it more of a challenge for him. You've got to make it really hard for him. And if there's, there's one thing I've learned is that, I mean, if everything looks nice and everything looks good and, and you as a coach, you, you know, oh, it was a brilliant exercise and everyone did extremely well. And it's like, you're not learning anything. Like you, you're too comfortable. It needs to be difficult. Like players need to be under massive pressure um, so that they are forced to develop their skills. It almost needs to be messy. Like there needs to be lots of mistakes within reason um, because you need to replicate the emotional state that they'd be in in a game. Um, and, a, and, a, and a gifted player like that, you need to put them under even more pressure than someone that's, that's almost not at his level just yet. Yeah. When you were playing, did you ever have any big struggles? Um, yeah, obviously I was just, I mean, I was just probably, I was just small, you know, I was, I was small, but you know, I, I think I did okay considering, um, my genetic disposition, you know, I, I found a way to, to be effective, found a way to survive. Um, I like to think I was, you know, I was, just, I had a deep understanding of the game. I was a smart player. Um, and I had skills to be effective. Um, in saying that, I now look back and go, I thought I had a good pass, but it wasn't good enough. Like <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't actually as good as it needed to be. And maybe I wasn't um, as aware of it at the time, or I didn't have a coach that said, mate, look, it needs to be even better. This is how you get there. And in a place like South Africa, there's so many good players that if you're not up to it, next guy up. It was never, hey, let me take you under my wing to make you better because I care about you. It's just, they're so spoiled for choice. Um, so, yeah, just an interesting point that when I was at the Sharks in the 19s, Corbis Ranach and myself were the, were the two scrum halves. And but he was unbelievably, obviously unbelievably quick and physically just, you know, a freak of nature. But his pass and his kick weren't there just yet. And he worked extremely hard. But I think they backed him because they knew, well, this guy's got the physical attributes to play international rugby and to score 15 to 25 tries a season. We've got to make this area of his game better. And mm -hmm. I mean, he's, you know, he's had an extremely successful career, still going. Um, but that sort of thing is that, I guess, I did, you know, I guess I did have a lot of struggle. I just wasn't aware of how, um, how much better they needed to be or how much better I could have been um, because I probably just wasn't mature enough um, or I had too much pride to actually go, you know, like you need to get better at passing. Like you think it's good. And yeah, you, you're decent, but like you need like at that level, like you need, it needs to be amazing. Like it needs to be a point of difference. I was chatting to a hooker, a line up throw earlier today and I was like, look, if that's your primary job. That's your if you can't hit your darts, you're done. You know, you, you, that is your point of difference. If you're 18 years old now, you're about to go to college for four years and you want to play MR in four years, you know you're going to train the house down. You know you're going to become a better player. But if, you're, if your primary skill, if your superpower is not good enough, it's not at, by that stage, it might be too late. So, like prioritize these are the critical few skills that I need to become incredible at. And then these are the important few that aren't as important 
uh, or they're important, but they're not the point of difference. And therefore, I've got to allocate my time and create my priorities according to the skills that I need to play at that next level. Um, I think Laurie Fisher said something like that in, in, in the one you interviewed him um, about, about the point of difference and working on the things that you're really good at because that's going to be, that's what's going to get you into the team. Unless about, you know, the things you're not so good at, you can get there, but and then but they're not the things that are going to get you in the team. Yeah, he was saying, like, you, don't, you can't have any debilitating weaknesses, but yeah. then you can't have anything that you're not amazing at. So yeah. you need to not have any debilitating weaknesses and find, like, one, two, three things which you're going to be the best in your team yeah. at. Yeah. Um, look, mate, thank you so much for that chat. Honestly, so helpful, so interesting.